Welcome to worship. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm the associate pastor here uh, at Givewell Church South Haven. Uh, if you're our guest, thank you so much for joining us this morning uh, for worship. I um, hope that you uh, receive something by being here this morning uh, from the Lord. And uh, we're wrapping up our August sermon series called Together, where we've been walking through the book of Philippians uh, and looking at how uh, the truths of Scripture and, and what that means for us as we share life together as God's people. So before we dive into the text this morning, uh, let's remind ourselves of a little bit of background uh, to Philippians and, and, and where we are. So first is that Paul is in prison in Rome. Uh, he's under 24-hour guard as he awaits his trial before Caesar. You might remember uh, from the book of Acts that Paul had uh, been arrested uh, by the leaders in Jerusalem, these religious elites, and really it all boiled down to that they were jealous of Paul and his success in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, around the world. And so uh, when the leaders couldn't decide what to do with them, Paul thought, well, this is not good. And so he used his Roman citizenship status to appeal to Caesar. And so if you did that as a Roman citizen, your trial then got put, taken before uh, Caesar, the emperor. And so um, at this point, they, did, they shipped Paul off. He's made it to Rome, and now he's under house arrest there uh, in Rome, and he's awaiting his trial. But here's the thing. Paul isn't really certain that he's going to get off. He's, he's actually more certain that he's probably facing execution. So you've got that. Then it's also during this imprisonment uh, that Paul writes this letter to the believers in Philippi. Uh, Paul had spent some time in the city of Philippi. Uh, we remember also from the book of Acts that uh, he was also arrested there. Uh, so arrestment is apparently not something that um, Paul is, uh, you know, doesn't know about. He's, he's been through it before, but he'd been arrested in Philippi once before. Um, and he had spent quite some time there with the, the believers there. And so Paul knew the culture. He knew the city. He knew what uh, the, the people were facing. And Philippi is a kind of very strategic military city uh, for the Roman Empire. And so it was filled with people and thoughts uh, from all over the known world at the time. So it's no surprise then that as uh, the church began to grow, um, that as this countercultural movement of Jesus began to take root in Philippi, that the believers of the church there had began to experience persecution for their faith in Jesus. So Paul's in prison, uh, the Philippians are, are being persecuted, and yet, even with those two things, Paul writes the words that we're about to read uh, together uh, to them. And they're words that are encouraging, they're words that aren't disparaging. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever of you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, 
And the God of peace will be with you. Now, it's no surprise that our world seems to thrive off of chaos and confusion. I mean, you just look around and that's all that we see. And there's nothing more that Satan wants than to deceive us and divide us and destroy us. And all too often, we as followers of Jesus have let him do just that very thing. We've fallen into his trap. We, we've played his game. We've tiptoed the line a little too much. And really, we find ourselves, our lives looking no different than those of the people of this world who don't know Jesus. But here's the thing. Our, our God is not the God of chaos and confusion. Our God is, is not of this world, but he offers us something very different than this world. God offers us peace. Now, the question in the intro video was, you know, when was the last time you experienced peace? And to, to think about that feeling. Now, for me, peace came about last night after our sick two-year-old went down for bed and it was just finally quiet around the house. Now, I don't know if any of you can relate to, to that, but what is it about peace that seems to always be so fleeting? Uh, you know, peace, one second, it's like we have it, and then the next minute, it's gone. Maybe you saw that question and you thought, Hunter, the last time I experienced peace, I don't even know. That was a really, really, really long time ago. Uh, peace, when we have it, it's so sweet, it's so calm, it's so wonderful, but it never seems to last very long. And I mean, my goodness, isn't peace that thing that we just desire in our lives? It's something that we really long for. And when we look around the world, when we look in our own lives, we see anything and everything other than peace, right? Paul tells us today that God is offering us something more than just an illusion of peace that's kind of here and there. But what God offers us is true peace, everlasting peace, not superficial or fleeting peace. So in the midst of all that Paul was going through, where he found himself, and all that the Philippians were experiencing, Paul writes his very first command. Now, what we read earlier, it sounds like a whole bunch of commands that are just kind of here and there, and they don't seem connected, but hopefully when we're done, we'll see them all connected. But Paul's first command is this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, right? So Paul says rejoice how many times? Two. It's kind of like me having to be in service twice every week, like I just really need to hear it, right? Rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. One of the ways that Satan tries to deceive us is by having us really just focus in on ourselves. We become so fixated on ourselves and the issues that we're facing and what's ahead of us, the feelings that, we, that, we, that have been hurt in our lives, we focus so much on those things that we never see anything around us. It may be some issues that we're facing, the hurt that we feel, maybe it's because of an illness or health concern that you have. Maybe you had a disagreement with your spouse or a loved one. Maybe you're just exhausted because of, of your work. Maybe you're just exhausted because you live in this world that seems to be increasingly worse and worse every single day. But what, even in the face of those things, because the world was no different when Paul was around, even in the face of those things, he tells us to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. How can he say that? It's because he knows who holds it all. God. 
It's amazing to me how when you have a kid, you start to remember things that were from your childhood. And if you grew up in the church, there's this song uh, that you probably learned. Um, and the other day I, I was, I had, I had Henry with us and it just kind of popped in my mind. And honestly, I think it was very much a God thing because it came into my mind at just the right time. Very simple song. It's a phrase that kind of gets repeated over and over. There's a couple of different verses, but the very first verse just really struck me. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Friends, that is true. And because that's true, it reminds me that God, this is still God's world. And that God has never left it. And because of that, we can rejoice in the Lord always, no matter where we find ourselves. We can rejoice knowing that it really is his world and that he really is in control and that he really does get the final word. Now, I think one of the greatest things that's missing from, from our lives as followers of Jesus is this ability to take the long view. Now, this is what I mean by that. I think that we've become so short-sighted in our life. We see the things that are going on in our immediate present, the things that, that are happening to us, and we forget what lies ahead. We should take the long view, knowing that greater things are yet to come with God at work. I mean, it's easy to, to get and stay discouraged when we're only focused on ourselves. It's easy to get and stay dismayed when, when our focus is only on ourselves. It's, it's easy to get and stay divided and disheartened and distressed when the focus is not on our God, but is on our life and our problems with all the things that are about us. The long view is about taking our gaze and fixing it on God and what God is doing. God wants us to see things differently, and, and Paul knew how to begin doing that. Paul knew that we had to reframe the way that we think, to, to change the way that we think, and to do so, Paul knew that instead of fixating and being distracted by the things of this life, the things that are happening to us and in our world, was to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, if you're like me, you hear this phrase and you're like, hey, that sounds um, great. But, you know, we brush it aside as kind of being unrealistic, right? Uh, when you're having marriage problems, when you can't stomach your pulse, when your hopes, have been, hopes and dreams have been dashed, yet again, right? It happens over and over. When you're sick and tired, when you're in debt, how can Paul, how can God say rejoice? How can he expect you to do that? It seems impossible, Right? The well, truth is, it is impossible for some people, but it's not impossible for those of us who follow Jesus Christ. That's because as Romans 12, 2 says, our minds are undergoing this process of renewal day by day by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, when God takes hold of our, our thoughts and our actions, when he takes hold of our hearts and our minds, we are transformed day by day into the image, into the likeness of Jesus Christ, his son. And it all happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the church word sanctification really boils down to. It's us changing more and more into the image of Jesus by God's work in our lives. So, 
if our thinking hasn't even begun to change than differently than the first day that we started following Jesus, if, if we're still haunted by the very same fears and thoughts that we had before we knew Jesus, if, if the kinds of thoughts still run through our brains that run through the brains of those who aren't followers of Jesus, if all of those things are still happening, then yes, rejoicing will never be something that we can do. But God wants to do something different. And I'm not talking about this kind of rejoicing. Like I'm not saying that we all have to be peppy people, okay? That makes me a little tired thinking about having to be a peppy person all the time. But no, I think it's more than that. See, what God has called us to as followers of Jesus is that we would see our world, we would see our circumstances differently. That, that we're not stuck looking at ourselves and then wallowing in our own pit of despair. We love doing that, don't we? No. People who have reframed, we've rewired the way that we think, the way that we see by practicing having our joy in the Lord. There's so many things that are not okay. And honestly, we can't change them. But we can change the way that we look at them. We can change the way that we face them. We can change and start by changing the way that our minds and our attitudes are toward them by doing exactly what Paul says, and that's by rejoicing in the Lord always. So not only does Paul say to rejoice, but he says this in verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, this Greek word for gentleness, it's a little tricky when you try to translate it into English because really the breadth of the word is so much greater than just one word can, can really comprehend for us in English. So when, we, when I did like a survey, you find the word gentleness occurring alongside other verses, other words and phrases like this in the New Testament. So peaceable, gentleness, peaceable, uh, open to reason, uh, and even rich in mercy. Now, these things, it, it, this word really is the word that describes Jesus. It describes Jesus. Paul uses it about Jesus in many other places in the New Testament. It's the term to describe Jesus. So this gentleness, for lack of a better word, is displayed whenever a person doesn't push to get their own way because it's their own way, Right? It's evident, this gentleness is evident when a person doesn't stand on their own rights, but to help someone else, they're willing to forego their rights so that the, even those rights that they could rightfully claim for themselves. There is a way to not only act gently, but also to be gentle. But once again, it requires us to experience that process of being renewed in our minds. See, we're not going to start acting like Jesus until we start thinking like Jesus. And we're not going to start thinking like Jesus until we start allowing our minds and our hearts be transformed more and more into that of Jesus. And so what that means is that we need to be renewed in the stories that we tell ourselves and we tell each other. And what that, what that means is that we, we start to tell God's story that helps us to take a long view. Whenever our story diverges from God's story, that's when we start believing that we have to be in control, right? Uh, and usually it means that we have to be the hero. But when our story runs with God's story, then we know that he 
is in control. And that we don't have to be the hero because Jesus is the hero of that story. And here's the thing. When we start doing our own thing and, and wanting our own stuff and demanding our own way, it does feel like the Lord is not near, right? It's because we've separated ourselves from him. But what Paul says is when we rejoice and when we are gentle, we see and we understand and we know that the Lord really is near. Our thoughts are changed. We begin to understand his protection, his love for us, his determination to make all things right. So much so that then we don't have to have control any longer. We don't have to try to be the hero of this story. We don't have to get angry when things don't go our way. Because God has the final word. We're confident that the Lord is going to make all things right. So we're to be, we're to rejoice. We're to be gentle. Those are totally doable, right? And then Paul throws verse 6 in. Like, what's he thinking? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, I know that none of you struggle with worry like I do, right? Um, everywhere we look, people are so anxious. I mean, turn on the news or start, open up Facebook, you start scrolling through and your anxiety meter just starts ticking up, right? Like, oh my goodness. If you're like me, you don't even have to open up Facebook. You just live life for a couple of minutes and your anxiety meter starts building, right? Like there's so much anxiety and friends, you are not alone in that. But I discovered this this week and it's changed the way that I've thought about this. What anxiety does to our brains is it sections it off. All right, what that means is it, it compartmentalizes the problems that we have and we believe that God can't touch them. That's what anxiety does. It like builds a barrier between us and God. And, we, and when we let anxiety take over some part of our lives, it, it just, God can't touch it because we're so anxious about it. But the way to deal with worry is to bring God back into our story, or even better yet, is to place ourselves back into God's story. We, we allow him to feel like the Lord is not near, right? It's because we've separated ourselves from him. But what Paul says is when we rejoice and when we are gentle, we see and we understand and we know that the Lord really is near. Our thoughts are changed. We begin to understand his protection, his love for us, his determination to make all things right. So much so that then we don't have to have control any longer. We don't have to try to be the hero of this story. We don't have to get angry when things don't go our way. Because God has the final word. We're confident that the Lord is going to make all things right. So we're to be, we're to rejoice we're to be gentle. Those are totally doable, right? And then Paul throws verse 6 in. Like, what's he thinking? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, I know that none of you struggle with worry like I do, right? Um, everywhere we look, people are so anxious, I mean, turn on the news or start, open up Facebook, you start scrolling through and your anxiety meter just starts ticking up, right? Like, oh my goodness. If you're like me, you don't even have to open up Facebook. You just live life for a couple of minutes and your anxiety meter starts building, right? Like there's so much anxiety and friends, you are not alone in that. But I discovered this this week and it's changed the way that I've thought about this. 
What anxiety does to our brains is it sections it off. All right, what that means is it, it compartmentalizes the problems that we have and we believe that God can't touch them. That's what anxiety does. It like builds a barrier between us and God. And, we, and when we let anxiety take over some part of our lives, it, it just, God can't touch it because we're so anxious about it. But the way to deal with worry is to bring God back into our story, or even better yet, is to place ourselves back into God's story. We, we allow him to, count, to come and transform. We, we take that long view with him. See, his story is about love and restoration, about peace and power and patience, and above all, it's about Jesus See, it's the story of Jesus who, as we saw in Philippians chapter 2, he, he didn't stand on his own rights, but he gave them up for you and me, dying on a cross so that we may have life. That instead of living in chaos and confusion, we could have peace. He was able to do that because he had the long view. He knew who was in control. He knew whose story he was a part of. And that was God's story. He knew that no matter what he was going to face, even if it was death himself, that God would raise him to life and that God was going to seat him on the throne to rule and to reign forever. So how do we bring ourselves back into God's story? Well, to begin with, Paul gives us a very easy thing, but to pray. We pray. And in the Greek, uh, verse 6 goes kind of something like this. In nothing worry... In everything, pray. And nothing worry, in everything, pray. You see, where worry, where anxiety sections us off, where it social distances us from God, prayer does the opposite. It draws us in. It brings us into his presence. It helps us see and experience his love. It connects us with him. So what, what Paul is trying to say here is it's, it's not that we just throw in the towel and we throw our hands up and we say, all right, whatever. And it's not also that we say, oh, everything is just fine. No. What this is, it's us moving to action by the things that we see, the things that we're experiencing, the things that are going on, and we take it to God in prayer. So by prayer and thanksgiving, what we do is we reorient our lives with God at the center of our story, which is really where he already is. We recenter our lives with Jesus, who is ever so near. And we recognize that he is the hero and we are not. And instead of demanding that he do something, I think that too often we go to our prayers and we're like, God, you got to do something about this, right? I don't think that's what, what we do here, but we, we take our requests to him. We lay them at his feet and friends, we expect him to do something because that's what he wants to do. He wants us to bring it to him because we can do that because we're part of his story and we know what story we're in. So instead of worrying about it for ourselves, we present them to God. We take them to him. We see ourselves as part of God's story and we take the long view knowing that he is at work. So you're to rejoice, you're to be gentle, you're not to be anxious, but take it to God, right? Those things are so drastically different than this world. 
It's a different mindset than anyone of this world could have. And Paul says this, he says, do all of these things and something very supernatural will happen. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of peace I want to have, right? Uh, this is not just some misconception of peace that I think a lot of times we, we fall into. This isn't the kind of peace that you get after a couple of drinks or when you put, take a sleeping pill. Like, no, this is a peace that goes much deeper than that. This is a, a true peace. This is God's peace. This is the very serenity of God. God's peace is more than just the absence of, of fear. It's the presence of, of contentment, of, of wholeness, of certainty, of well-being, the very things that we, we want and we desire and we long for. This is the kind of peace, God's peace, it guards us. Think about a military guard. Here's Paul being guarded 24 hours a day. That's what God's peace does it comes and it guards us, our hearts and our minds when we live this way, when we rejoice and we're gentle and we're not anxious, but we take it to God in prayer. Now that kind of peace is so appealing, it's so different than anything this world offers us. And Paul, he invites us in to participate in that kind of peace that only God can give by changing the way that we think and the way that we feel then that no matter what we experience, no matter what happens to us, we can rest in God alone, knowing that he's at work renewing and redeeming all things. But we'll never get to that place if we continually, uh, we'll never get to the place of ever experiencing God's peace if we continue to fill our minds with the anger and the fear and the greed that characterizes our world. We're never going to get there. So what must we do? Paul says this in verse 8. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Instead of consuming social media or the news or even our very own thoughts, Paul tells us to think about. Now, this word think about can be translated almost a hundred different ways, but I'll just give you a few ways here. Consider, ponder, dwell, meditate, think about, take on, take account of, weigh for yourself. Think about these things. Think about whatever is true. That meaning whatever is correct, whatever is right. Whatever is noble, think about the virtuous, honorable, and honest things. Whatever is right, think about the righteousness of God, the things that are righteous like God, the guiltless things of this world. Whatever is pure, the word pure is sacred, clean, pure from all fault. Whatever is lovely, think about those things that are acceptable to God, that are delightful, that are pleasing. Whatever is admirable. Think about those things that are spoken well of, that are spoken of favorably. Whatever is excellent. Think about those things that are virtuous of thought, feeling, and action. 
and whatever is praiseworthy. Think about those things that are commendable and exemplary. You see, thinking on those things, they change a person and change the way that we view the world and that we view the world that's happening to us. Considering that where there is truth and purity and things that are beautiful and right, instead of immediately dismissing the things that come toward us as Christians, it's, it's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. We, we shouldn't just jump to conclusions and dismiss something that we, that we experience, but we're to take into account and see what are these things that could actually be noble and lovely that God is giving us. Because when we do jump to conclusions, when we immediately dismiss, we do ourselves a grave disservice as Christians. But even greater, we do this world a disservice. See, God created truth. And God created this world. And even those who aren't followers of Jesus, God uses to communicate truth and beauty that we can come alongside of and embrace and champion and help them understand even greater the part and the place that God is playing in their lives. God doesn't want us to miss out on these things as his people. But here's the thing, thinking about such things, as Paul said, it's not easy it's easy to dismiss. It's easy to just sweep it under the rug. It's easy to say, well, they're, they're not a believer, so therefore whatever they're saying is not true. It's easy to do that. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to do the not easy work of thinking through, of pondering, of weighing for ourselves, of finding what is true. It's the necessary work, and it changes the way that we think. But Paul takes it a step further. It's not enough to just change the way that you think. He wants us to change the way that we act as well. He says this in verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So Paul uses four verbs here. Learned, received, heard, and seen. These four verbs are all-encompassing of Paul's life. But more than that, it's, it's all-encompassing of the one from whom Paul was imitating. That's Jesus Christ. You see, we're called to live a life like Jesus. Jesus modeled that life for us in the Gospels. And here's the thing. Just because you were baptized, just because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it, it doesn't mean that it only changed your eternity. See, the gospel doesn't just change our eternity, it changes our present life here and now forever. God is at work by his Holy Spirit in our lives today, changing us day by day, hour by hour. And we're to put those things into practice that we learn. You see, sanctification, it involves our participation. It's not something that just happens passively. I don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden I'll look more like Jesus. No, I have to participate and work with the Holy Spirit in my life to change my mind and to change my heart so that it changes the way that I think and the way that I act. But here's the thing, it's not just for my sake. It's also for the world's sake. And here's the thing, is all of those things begin to fall into place in our lives. As they begin to take root deep down in the depths of us, something amazing happens, Paul says. He says, and the God of peace 
will be with you. I want you to notice something. Verse 7, Paul talked about the peace of God being with us. But now he says, the God of peace will be with you. So when we look up to God instead of ourselves, when we allow the Holy Spirit to change our thoughts, when we put into practice what, what has been modeled for us, when we take this long view of life, looking to God, not only do we have the peace of God, but we also have God himself. It's, it's a great thing to have the peace of God, the thing that he gives, and it is an even better thing to have the giver himself. So here's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to take away. God offers us his peace and his presence so that we can take the long view together. God offers his peace and his presence so that we can take the long view together. Now, I don't know what your week held, but it was a tough one. Just being honest, it was a tough one. It would have been easy for me to dwell on the bad, the ugly, the heartbreaking, and the absolutely frustrating. But you know, God's peace and God's presence by, by God's Holy Spirit <laughs> has reminded me about the long view has reminded me that whatever in the midst of, of what's going on in my life and in the world, in your lives, in our community, that God is still at work and that he's still on the throne. Because remember, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? And I'll say one of the beautiful things is just like this testimony of a life changed by, by God, by God's grace, is there's been story after story that I've heard this week after coming back from vacation of, of God at work, of God moving in lives and in situations that, that all glory goes to him. And that has done nothing but strengthen this position of me standing firm and saying, God, you've got this and I'm going to take that long view. We've been through a lot of change. Virus has really done some, some work. Uh, in, in our lives and our life is not the same as it was before and it's not going to be the same after. I told him at first service that 16 years ago I was sitting in South Mississippi going through Hurricane Katrina and then here we are yet again 16 years to the day. Y'all life was not the same after Katrina for us in South Mississippi. Life won't be the same after this virus has come through. Life was never meant to be the same. I think that sometimes we, we like to get in our comfort zone and man, I would love to stay in a permanent comfort zone. But change is, inev is inevitable. It's something that's going to happen all the time. We're always going to face struggles in this world. But you want to know where my comfort zone is slowly but surely, thank the Lord, moving toward? God. God. It's his peace and his presence that are my comfort zone now. So here's my question for you. In the midst of change, in the midst of everything that we're experiencing, are we going to look at it with the, through the lens of saying, God, I understand that you're at work here in some way that maybe I don't understand yet. 
Maybe whatever uncomfortableness I'm, I'm having to embrace or, or whatever, are we going to come alongside that and let him change our hearts and our minds and experience his peace and his presence by taking the long view? Or are we can continue to complain and continue to, to worry and continue to, to not live that life that he's called us to as his people? God wants to do something. He wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in our church. He wants to do something in our world. Are we going to come alongside? Are we going to take that long view together? So won't you rejoice with me? Won't you rejoice? I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Won't we be gentle like our Savior with all? Won't we take our worry and set it down before God? Won't we take and do the hard work of considering what is the good and the right in this world that God has created? And then won't we practice what God has called us to as his people? So that no matter what we encounter together, we're going to encounter a lot together, but no matter what we encounter together, that we can have that peace, that true peace that God offers us alone because we take that long view together. Let's pray.